This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 3rd, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. In her new book, The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare, Sally Pipes gives lie to notions like government health care is more efficient, that we're spending too much on health care, and that health information technology is a silver bullet. We spoke following a forum on government-run health care held July 15, 2009. Well, I worked as an economist at the Fraser Institute, Canada's really only free market think tank. And in the 80s, we realized that there were long waiting lists, that people were being denied care. And so we started a publication called Waiting Your Turn, Hospital Waiting Lists in Canada. So we brought out the first study in about 91, but we started the work in 88. And sure enough, um, people were having to wait for care. So in 91, I got the opportunity to move to America. And I jumped at it because I wanted to get away from the Canadian healthcare system. But growing up, under a government-run system, you know, we faced long waiting lists for care, ration care, and lack of access to the latest technology. Um, today, the average wait from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist is 17.3 weeks. That's over four months, which is double when it was like about 9.3 weeks um, t- uh, 10 years earlier. So we've seen a tremendous increase in, in the waits for care. And it's because government, when the government took over the healthcare system, they thought doctors would be paid more, people would have universal coverage, and costs would be down. Well, what people didn't realize, people in the government didn't realize, is that when you offer something for free, of course it's not free, you're paying for it with your taxes, um, people use a lot more of it when they think something is cheap or inexpensive. And we have the same problem here in America with employer-based coverage. If people pay no copay or they pay a small amount, no premium or part premium, they use a lot more health care, which adds to adds to the cost. But in Canada, the government said, we've got to keep these costs down. Other government, other politicians want other programs. So they set the global budget at 10% of GDP. And people here in America, people in the administration, the president think, if Canada can spend 10% of GDP, gross domestic product, why can't we? We're spending 16 to 17%, or about $2.3 trillion. So um, you know, when government set that um, budget, of course, you know, there was much more of a demand for health care than they were able to provide and pay for. So you get these long waiting lists, ration care, people being denied care. And in, in fact, you know, I talked about my mother who, because of her age, could not get a colonoscopy when she was convinced that she had colon cancer. Finally, six months later, when she was hemorrhaging, she was taken to the hospital in an ambulance, went to the emergency room, spent two days in a transit lounge, got a colonoscopy, and that she had severe colon cancer and passed away two weeks later. But it's cheaper for the government to say, we don't need to provide colonoscopies, it's an expensive procedure, and we can keep our costs down by denying this coverage. And that happens in many instances, whether it's an MRI, whether it's a CT scan or a positron emission tomography, colonoscopy, PSA tests, these things that people in America take for granted, they are not provided to Canadians on, on, on a regular basis because they're too expensive. Is it possible to contain costs across the healthcare system in in general uh, without having a, a government bureaucrat say no? Well, I think here in America, if you look at the bills that um, through the Senate and the and the House bill, I think it's going to be very hard to contain costs because I think costs will go up when people think they have universal coverage. And so when you hear costs between $600 billion, $1.5 trillion, the government here will find that those those costs or estimates are very, very low, and you're probably going to be looking at $3 trillion. And then government's going to say, well, we've got to, we've, we've got to set a global budget here too. And, um, you know, 
um, it, they'll probably have to push it down to 12% or whatever, but they will not be reducing costs um, with the programs and, the, and the, the, the bills that we're seeing right now. You talked a little bit about single payer uh, in the forum, but President Obama argues that what he wants to do, that is having a government-run plan operating side-by-side with private plans, is not a step toward, emphatically not a step toward uh, single payer. Right, and he he has said that over and over again. I think he's trying to convince himself, perhaps, that that's what he believes. But, you know, when President Obama spoke at the annual meeting of the AFL-CIO a few years ago, he said, if I were designing this healthcare system from scratch, I would design a single payer healthcare system. You know, right now, his, he's a big fan of a, a play or pay mandate for employers, perhaps an 8% payroll tax, which is going to crowd out a lot of people. Out of employers are going to drop coverage. People will move into the public plan. Probably, but Lewin says about 120 million will be moved into the public plan. This public government-run plan will be competing against private insurers. They have said that they will have guaranteed issue and community rating as mandates, and we all know that those add tremendously to cost. And what they are is their programs, their mandates that say. An insurer cannot discriminate based on a person's medical history, their age, or or their sex. So that's going to add to the cost. I think the government will probably price the public plan, the government plan, cheaper than, than private insurers can offer insurance. And therefore, crowding out will take place. It'll be the end. It won't happen overnight, but over the next few years, we'll see the crowding out of private insurers. And we'll all be left in a single-payer, government-run, monopoly healthcare system with all that that entails long waiting lists, ration care, and lack of access to the latest technology and diagnostic tests. And as we learned in the at the state level experience, community rating and guaranteed issue destroyed uh, particular health insurance markets. Right. And for people in New Jersey and New York that have those those mandates, you know, young people, it keeps young people out of the insurance market. And because people can't buy insurance across state lines, you know, young people say, make a conscious decision. I'm not going to buy insurance. I want insurance. Uh, for a catastrophe. I don't want to pay $500 a month uh, for an insurance plan when I can, you know, make a payment on a car, take a girl on a date. You know, this is, I'm not going to use it. I'm invincible. So why should I waste my money? If you had a magic wand, what would the reforms be that you would adopt overnight? Well, my first reform is we need patient-centered solutions to the healthcare problem instead of the government taking over the 53% of healthcare that they don't have right now. So I would like to see a change in the tax code because right now 60% of Americans get their health care through their employer. Um, they don't pay tax on the value of their health care. Of course, their wages are slightly lower because employers you know, don't have money to throw away. But in this market, when you have a, lot, a recession, a lot of people losing their jobs, um, people go into the individual market and they have to buy their insurance with after-tax dollars. So I'd love to see that tax exclusion um, eliminated. It would level the playing field and we would see a lot of people um, then, particularly younger people, would then go and buy health insurance to cover what, whether whether they want a lot, whether they want to vitro fertilization, alcohol rehabilitation, or they just want insurance to cover catastrophic um, illness. I really am a big supporter of buying health insurance across state lines. People, It's very, very good for people. If you live in a place like Massachusetts or New York, I mean, you, you might find that the plan best suited to you is in Arizona or in Idaho. I'm very much a supporter of states reducing those mandates. There are about 2,000 mandates on insurance across America, 46 mandates in California, about 48 in Massachusetts. They add between 20 to 50% to the cost of health insurance. 
I support uh, medical malpractice reform. We know that it adds tremendously to the cost of our health care because doctors practice defensive medicine because they are so afraid of being sued. And I like the idea of opening up retail clinics, you know, so that people, you know, that can that's price transparency, they know what they're paying for an earache or a sore throat treatment at a Walmart or a Rite Aid, and they're not turning up at emergency rooms. So those are some of the things that I feel we can really move to patient-centered solutions and solve the problem of, of not having universal coverage. We can achieve universal coverage through universal choice in healthcare. Sally Pipes is author of The Top 10 Myths of American Healthcare. She is also president of the Pacific Research Institute. You can read more on healthcare at our website, healthcare.cato.org.